Welcome to the Heads and Bed Show, where we teach you how to get more properties, earn more revenue per property, and increase your occupancy. I'm your co-host, Conrad. And I'm your co-host, Paul. Hey, Conrad here. Just wanted to butt in before the episode actually started. So we had some weird technical issues on this particular episode. For some reason, Paul's audio file was completely lost, but I thought it was some decent stuff. So it's kind of a weird one. If there's little audio hiccups, we do apologize. But I think the content's pretty good. So let's roll a clip. Yeah, I guess it's really hard for me to figure out at the volumes that we typically can publish at, what the right right approach is there. I'll be completely honest. I don't know if that is actually the right approach or if by bouncing around by, okay, it's relevant, it's lower competition. Was that actually a better way to lay out the information and build things out? If a client has a massive content budget and they want to reach out and they want us to test different ways of publishing content, I'm all for it. Go to (laughs) build.com, fill out the forum and let's have a conversation because I think it's really challenging to figure that out. So I guess my point of view on it would be if you're a property manager listening and you're determining, should I you know, what sort of investment should I make into content? Most of our clients are typically only producing one to four assets per month. Like weekly is a pretty high pace for this type of content that we're talking about where it's well-researched. You're working with an individual writer. You're producing a clear scope report because that also includes getting it on the site. Like even when you're done writing the content, we didn't even have this in the outline, but it has to also be formatted into the website. That's not a snap your fingers and it just pops up process. We have a dedicated team member, essentially two now actually, that all they do is format content all day. Mm -hmm. It gets approved and it's all done by the writer. And then it has to go from that into an actual website with metadata, title tag, all the on-page SEO stuff is well formatted properly. And that in and of itself is a bit of a task for a property manager to be doing properly, even if they have the right content on the writing side done. Right. So it's very challenging. I think there's not many companies that are small businesses that can afford to do more than like a weekly piece of content. That's good. Sure, if you want to publish crap, then you can publish crap. <laughs> try clusters, try whatever you want. It's probably not going to work Right. Yeah, I don't know if it matters though, to be honest with you, Paul, I, because we've tried different approaches. And at the end of the day, it just seems like over time, if we're publishing useful, relevant information, we tend to win. And so I guess I'm I guess I'm a little bit less interested in the philosophy of does approach A or approach B work better? If both roads lead to the same outcome, which is that our client ranks really well in Google for their core keywords that monetize and they get a lot of blog traffic along the way to build their audience and build their brand, I think we're doing the right thing. But ultimately, a lot of questions in SEO in my mind are somewhat unknowable and also very difficult, if not impossible to test. So I think the better approach is what do I do that's moving me forward? And even if I'm like, even if I'm like one or two degrees off track with SEO and you do it long enough, you'll get to the right spot. That's... It's not like an airplane. <laughs> if you're two degrees off, you end up in the wrong spot. If you just keep building traffic, you can get better results. And you can always try different approaches along the way. Mm-hmm. My advice there, honestly, would just be give it enough time. If you're going to do what you know Paul was suggesting a few minutes ago and try publishing in batches or hubs versus publishing just topics based on competition where you might bounce around a little bit, don't do it for a, a week or two weeks. No. Or a month and say, oh, this is how it's going to work. Like you got to no. give it a lot of time. You got to give it at least probably three or four months for each approach minimum, and then see the traffic, see the rankings, see the progress before you make any sort of judgment call on, oh, this is the way that this one is going versus this is the way that this one is going. So that would be my take on it is that you've yeah. got to give some stuff like that time for sure. Absolutely. And, when, and you, the nail on the head is it's got to be good. It's got to be high quality content. Quality content is the key. If it's not quality, Google knows. And we have a Bing knows that the search engines know because it's not being, it's not being engaged with. It's not, you're not getting the end result that you're looking for there. So it, it, you might not even get the, you know, with that low quality content, you might not even get the traffic. So I think that's something that it's all about the quality, whether it's 200 words or 2000 words, high quality content will be recognized by the search engines. And it is over time that will help get you to the promised land of more traffic.
Yeah, yeah, right on. We said make it make it good, which is always very tough because it's somewhat of a subjective measure. But in our outline here, we said make it unique and make it sticky. Those were two of the things that we put in there. So I think by unique, like you have your own point of view into things. I know that we've referenced people on the show before. David from SmokyMountains.com is an example where I think he's yep. paid a lot of money for original photography. That is a huge investment. Obviously, not many people are willing to make that kind of investment. But all, for, to my knowledge, at least the bulk of the photography on his website is original. He hired photographers to go out there and get it for his website. So every header photo, et cetera, et cetera, that he has posted there is of his own design. And you can't rip it off and put it on your site. It's not on Photoshop, <laughs> et cetera, which I think is a good way to make things unique. But I don't think you have to do that. Like, I think we've been able to produce really neat content by you know, changing the layout, like having an image with each graphic of the actual restaurant or having a specific, oh, the locals often recommend this dish. We've done that on restaurant posts before. Or pro tip, make sure you show up at 5 p.m., right at 5 p.m. and then you get in on the early bird and you get seated a lot quicker versus showing up at 7.30. I think there's lots of ways to make content unique that doesn't just rely on making massive investments into photography and things like that. And that's the type of thing that ultimately a user, just think of the user on the other side. If you're unsure of is this content quality or not, I guess you just have to think of the user on the other side and think, are they getting value out of that information which is why by the way not to turn this into an ai conversation we're very <laughs> i'm just i'm very skeptical of seeing a lot of success with ai content because i do think you can get ai content to give the user satisfactory information and we've done some of those posts and some of them have started to get a little tiny bit of uptick but i don't think it's something that's going to last very long i guess that's part of my concern so if we have a ai, AI writing tool that's saying what's the month that it snows the most in Seattle, Washington or something like that. Like sure. I think an AI writer could answer that pretty well because it's like a known statistical fact that it can just use its corpus of documents and figure mm -hmm, out. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, everyone else is going to have the same article. So I think any sort of advantage you have is so short-lived that I'm just a little bit less optimistic that the AI writing tools are going to provide us this utopia of click a button, get an optimized article on the other <laughs> side. I know there's a lot of SEO SaaS tools that claim they can do that. I'm just a little bit more skeptical that's going to work in the way that we claim. I think what might be the approach there going forward, going back to this like unique and sticky angle, is how can I maybe use AI to give me a first draft or refine what I'm doing or edit what I'm doing and then go back and add my own insight or add my own beliefs into it. Like I think there's a button to hit to maybe give you a starting point, a framework to get going. And then I think you can go back in there and improve it. But I don't know your take on this. It's been a minute since we've talked about this. So I'm not sure. The unique, I, I've, I have a hard time believing that any AI written content is unique because most of them are built off of some, the clear one of the large, the LLMs, the large language models for ChatGPT and BARD. But I, I, somewhere along the lines, everything's reading off of some type of language models. The uniqueness of AI generated content is going to be as unique as like where they pulled it from. If they pulled a direct line, direct quote from another blog post, from a news article, from something like that, your article, your content isn't unique at that point. So I would say my healthy level of skepticism with most AI generated things probably does base itself from the uniqueness of content. Like how can a, an individual or your individuality of voice, of angle, of anything like that, of intent is gone when you're putting that into a system that's literally just reading other content and trying to make it similar to or something like that or something where the model can recognize it and generate what it needs to on the back end. So yeah, unique content is something that it is. It's I think it's really difficult to get unique content because more often than not, we do fall into the top this, top that, top list of that, because it is, it's easy. It's more fun to write that content sometimes. And over time, it usually does rank. So it's effective there. 
But <clears throat> as far as the uniqueness of that content and trying to make it more unique, I love that idea of pro tips. I love that idea of making someone feel like it's unique. To, it's special to them. This message is special to them or it's something that only insiders get or, or it is. It's why those membership membership groups or, or things like that, people are willing to pay up for those memberships occasionally because it is. It's, it's that unique. It's that one of a kind experience that you're going to get. How do you make content that way? I don't know. But I do not think that any AI content long-term is going to be unique. I think just over time, that's something that, <clears throat> and I think we'll see it, is that at some point, the algorithms will make that another shift and will make that change. And the content that isn't unique is going to be deprioritized. And hopefully we get an understanding of why it's prior deprioritized. But I think in a lot of cases, it's because there is a lot of that content that's already out there. It's another one of those things that the uniqueness, I think, is tricky. The stickiness is something that well, what are some examples that you would use as far as trying to make that content stickier and keeping people, whether that's on the site or just at least engage with the brand there? How, what are some ways? Yeah, I think like blog design is probably an underrated piece of the puzzle. A lot of the PMS template websites that we get a hold mm. of, they just, they don't do much to modify the blog design. It just has a very basic, simple look to it, which it's not the end of the world. You can work with what you're given. Mm -hmm. But I think if what I see a lot of them are like taking over existing content or other work from other agencies or we're taking something over, maybe the clients tried it themselves, is they don't really know how to make the blog post just look nice on given the framework of the template that they're given to work within. And sometimes we can make some just simple modifications that make it look a lot nicer. So for example, this sounds simple, but just like having the author name be very clear at the top of the page, putting a caption on every photo, we typically do photo credit underneath each photo or a mm -hmm. caption, like explaining what the photo is, looking at the sidebar of the blog <clears throat> and determining, should I be putting in extra pieces on the sidebar for a search box? Click here to search vacation rental properties. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Click here to sign up for our newsletter. Click here to view other content. Like some blog sidebars by default are just blank or it says like categories over there and it just doesn't look nice. So those are small things that can make a difference. Making the images full width, but not too wide. I see that sometimes where like mm -hmm. the images, one image is like very vertical and doesn't look great. And then the next one is like too small. It's 300 by 300 and it doesn't actually fill up the full width of the the kind of viewport of where the text is. So that's another issue that I see. I hate when sites are like difficult to scroll, especially on mobile when like you oh, scroll yeah. and it goes too fast or too slow and it makes it hard to read. The text being too small can be a factor as well on like our little website audit accessibility thing that we do. We mm -hmm. look for web fonts that are like typically 14, 16, like in that size, but some sites by default are like 10 or 12. Like it's just hard to see. I'm blind as a bat, so I need that <laughs> personally as well. So I think there's a lot to professional blog design, but none of it's complicated in my opinion. A lot of it's just doing the basics well images links text just make sure it's pleasing to read and then when they get to the bottom having a next step click here to search now <laughs> click here to sign up for our newsletter here's related content just something that kind of gets them to the next step there and i think all those things sum up it's not one thing it's all those things that make a reader be like ah this is pleasing to read and they want to stay a little bit longer in my experience i think that last part that next step it's the content's great but if you've not given them any call to action of what they're actually supposed to do after they've read that blog post i think it's a huge missed opportunity as far as keeping making it a sticky experience not just with that blog post but then taking it to your website whether that is going to look for a rental or whether that's looking for another piece of content to read that was something that it is you get to the end of the blog
So when you're looking at the blog post, it is, I think the biggest missed opportunity there, there really is that call to action at the end of it. It is, you're, you're wanting someone to take an action. If you're not asking them, giving them the next step of, hey, now start planning your getaway. Hey, here's the next blog post you're going to read in the series or whatever that is. I do. I think that's something that it's a, it's just a missed opportunity. You've gotten, you've concluded the, you've written your three points, you've gotten your or you've written your five paragraph essay in some cases, you've gotten the introduction, you've gotten your three main bullets, you've gotten your conclusion, and you didn't give them anything else. So it's a, sadly, that's a lot of the content I think we see out there because, and it's written in a way that that is, it's very linear. It's, these are the points, I have to hit these points, I have to hit these keywords. And now I've accomplished my task of writing the content and I'm done now, but we don't take that next step of thinking about how do we make it sticky? How do we keep them there? How do we now get them to go to go do the take the desired path that we typically would see where they're now going through the booking process or they're looking at your website in greater detail? We've gotten them in with this initial search query that may really have nothing to do with the ultimate service we're providing. We may have brought them in on an activities keyword and all of a sudden now we have to get them to stick stick to the process and book that unit. So I think that is something that if you're not, if you look back on your blog content and there's no action on any of the last five, 10 blogs that you have, look for that. That's a huge opportunity to maybe not recycle that content, but at least add something to it. And especially if you go back in your Google Analytics and there's traffic hitting that page and then they're bouncing there, there are, there's definitely some metrics that you can see there where it's going to give you an idea of are people sticking around? Are people staying? It's not just the SEO tools and the SEO reporting metrics. It's now once those people have hit your page, you've got Google Analytics, hopefully, in play. Hopefully it's G4 Analytics that's currently implemented on the site. But that's going to tell you, that's going to give you the true engagement of what people are doing after they have that initial organic session or organic engagement with the business. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, I think when it's all said and done, like... I feel like people have a good sense of it. When you read a blog post from your own website, I think we shared this on an earlier episode. Do you want to take that blog post, copy and paste it and put it into a guidebook that you're going to send to a guest staying in your property? That's a really simple litmus test yeah. for if you're on the right path <laughs> from a content quality standpoint. If so, then, you know, great. If not, then you're like, oh, I don't know if I'd recommend this or this doesn't look great. Then yeah, then why would a reader care? And why would Google, who can choose from not an infinite number, but a very high number right. of articles. Why would they rank yours ahead of everybody else's if it doesn't actually have anything really unique or differentiated inside of it? It's really challenging, I think, to bridge that gap, to bridge that divide of, oh yeah, let's figure out a way to to show this article ahead of everybody else. It doesn't have anything unique, like nothing good about it, but yeah, please show me at the top. Google doesn't think that way or work that way, nor should they. They should be showing the content that's right. in fact the best when they're building their algorithms that we don't fully understand. <laughs> I think right. we got one more note that we want to slide in here, which is keep it evergreen. That was our last note here on the outline. Keep it evergreen, meaning keep the content updated, keep it up to date. So as things change and shift a lot over time, you can actually make sure that content still reflects the most up-to-date version of it. We frequently right. do this. In fact, some months we just go back and don't produce new content for a client. We just go back and do a bunch of updates, which is better, in my opinion, a much better approach for us long-term from an SEO perspective. Would rather have 40 or 50 pretty highly updated high traffic articles on my site than 100 that have never been touched because I think over time you tend to see them just decay and go down. Whereas when you update them, it's like they almost get stronger too. And Google tends to respect that URL and that content a little bit more in my experience. 
So yeah, keeping it updated isn't necessarily a massively complicated process, but it is something that requires intentional effort and a bit of a budget. It's not that click publish, ignore forever. Right. It's click publish and then go back and check it on a certain cadence or schedule or something like that. I don't know your experience there, but a simple yeah. one, one that people sometimes skip. It is. I mean, so that was something where always taken back to the resorts and lodges.com days, but we did, we have on that site there to this day, I think are over 600 top 10 lists, but those were written somewhere between 2015 and 2022. So over time, it it probably goes up to 2023. Now I'm not sure about that, but that's the thing is over time, whether businesses go out, business, businesses are active, businesses are not active. And the other thing is that in, I think, 18 or 19, Google was starting to say they were starting to make timeliness of the content more of a, felt like more of a weighted factor in the algorithm there. So uh, the same, it was felt like also the same time where a lot of the page titles started to include, hey, whatever name of website or keyword <laughs> page title, 2022 or 2023 or having the year actually included there because that was something that the search engines appeared to be taking into effect where whether they were actually looking at the age of the page or just reading it in the page title seemed to be enough. So I do. I think that's something where, especially in a time post-COVID where, let's face it, there's a lot of businesses that just aren't around anymore that probably were around and were around when you originally built the content. So going through and updating that, again, Google understands at a deeper level. I mean, they they have that Google My Business information or Google Business Listing information just as well as everybody else does. But additionally, it's not just the search engines. If someone comes to your website, goes to that blog post and sees five activities, but three of them aren't available to be, you can't do them, you're giving them a bad experience. And it is. And they may try to book that experience or book the activity while they're while they're planning their trip. If they find they can't do that, are they going to lose a little bit of trust in you as a property manager or something like that? Probably. So I think that's it is. It's a true prong of making sure that, yeah, refreshing your content, getting a republish on it or, or doing something like that, letting the search engines know that it has been updated, it has been refreshed, it's good. But then it is. It's that trust piece that if you're give, sending a traveler to a piece of content that has inaccuracies or old information, that's the last thing anybody wants to see. And it's going to not only affect that initial experience, but it might, you could lose a booking because of it if people are have lost that trust in you. So definitely something that I don't know where it sits in the ranking factors. I don't think I see that as much anymore. Some of the old travels, some of the travel sites still have it in their URL structure and in their page title structure. So I have to think that the recency and the evergreen nature plays a role there right now. But I think that's something that if you've got the content out there, yeah, just keep improving it. You don't need to rewrite or you don't need to write new content necessarily when you've got great content that's already there. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think about that last piece that you were saying, which is that how is it going to convert? So forget about that. (laughs) For one second, we'll just forget about SEO. (laughs) Yeah. Let's just forget. A a potential guest is on that page and you're putting out stuff that's not accurate or up to date. And they're going to be like, I forget this company. How clean are their properties? (laughs) If I can't trust this, how can I trust it? That's a good way to think about it. Right on. What else did we not cover about SEO content, Paul, that we should tell the fine folks before they depart for it today? It is. I think ultimately... You got to produce content. Like the last thing you got to produce content. That's what Google wants. That's what the search engines wants. That's what your end user wants. Like whatever content type 
format method you provide, you, you choose. Just, I think it's, and I think it's worthy of doing multiple things, like trying out different things. I, I, consistency is good. Obviously, you want to not just try it for a month or for one or two pieces. You want to go further than that, but don't be afraid to mix it up, to try a listicle one time or to try an infographic or to try some of these things that may seem a little harder to produce, but that long-term, I think the upfront cost will pay itself off with the back-end results. It seems like that's something that is more or less universal with SEO. It, it does take some upfront cost to do it, but the long-term payoff is almost always more. And in it quantitatively, I don't know, but qualitatively is always more than what that upfront cost is. What about you? Yeah, no, I think I, maybe I can put some numbers in context to share that a little bit. I was thinking of a client that we've been working with since 2020. Interesting time to start with a client. <laughs> That's when we got started right at the very start of 2020. And yep. I was looking at their results here. Let me just pull this up really quickly in analytics and I'll give you like a month by month breakdown. So basically month one, we start with a client and they're getting no meaningful organic traffic. So not a lot of visitors coming into the site. Let me give you a number. So the first month we worked together, they had a grand total of 1,357 people coming to the website <laughs> in total. Sure. Right? So by the end of 2020, so the first month of 2021, that number had gone from 1,700 to a little bit under 6,000, 5,962 visitors. Not bad. By the end of 2022, that number was 12,742. And last month, so we're recording this in August of 23, obviously, in July of 23, they did a little bit over 18,000 visitors last month. So they started at 1,700 coming from their website in total. Granted, the majority of the traffic comes from Google. Yeah. And now they're getting over 18,000. So it's been an 18x growth, but it's taken three years. Like it's taken a lot of time to get there. And obviously they've, during that time frame, they've had to invest a lot of money into SEO. Now you may say, is it worth it? Okay, the traffic has gone 18x, but what's been the numbers, the dollar and cents of it? So during that time frame, in direct bookings on their website, they've driven a total of $9.3 million in direct bookings, 3,000 bookings for an average order value of $3,122, meaning they had 3,000 individual people book a unit on their website. They made a little bit over 9,000 not, excuse me, $9.3 million in gross revenue. And their average booking value was a little bit over $3,100. So it's taken time to get there as well. It's the first month that we, let me give you those numbers too, from a revenue perspective. So the first month that we worked together with those 1,700 visitors, they got a grand total of 32,000 indirect bookings. <laughs> Last month, they did 394,000 indirect bookings. Jeez. In fact, their busiest month this year was February. This is one of the markets where they tend to get yep. those early bookings that they can. Their biggest month ever since we've been working with the client was February this year. They did a little bit over $635,000 in direct bookings on their website in February. So there's a lot of ROI there, no doubt about it. Client's super happy, but it took years literally, <laughs> to get those types of results. And it was, it's a chart where it looks flat, little nudges up. And then over yep. time, it's really gone up as they've, and they've done a great job too. I'm not going to take all the credit for that. They've, scaled, they've got more properties. Yep. We're putting into a website. They've swapped PMSs at one point. That was a headache for them, but I think it was a good outcome as far as the company goes. And it's a lot of work. So. I think that site's a good example of content takes time, but when it's working in your favor, it's like those rowing teams where it's like mm -hmm. content working and, the, and they're getting more inventory and they're doing a good job with guest service and the cleaning team does a good job. If we're all rowing in the same direction, we could just fly and make a lot of progress. There's no doubt in my mind about that. So that's all I have as well. I don't think we have anything else. If you made it through both parts, we kind of chopped this one into two, mm -hmm. but if you made it through the second part this week, we appreciate it. Please do leave us a review. That means a lot to us. And we will definitely come back at you next week with a new topic, new episode, and more stuff to share about marketing. So thanks so much. And we'll catch you on the next one.